Let's hear the word of the living God. Genesis chapter 19 and the verse 1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet. And ye shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he did, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. And down to verse 12. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides, son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out, and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest I be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men lay hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters. And the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth, and set him without the city. And it came to pass, when they had brought him forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Verse 23. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zorah. And the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities that which grew round, grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Amen. We'll end our reading there, verse 26. And we'll look to the Lord now. Let's come together, God's people. Let's pray. Let's unite our hearts, unite our minds, and let's supplicate the throne of grace that the Lord will give help and power in the preaching of the Word tonight. So let's pray. Eternal God and loving Father, we come now to the preaching of the Word. We pray that Thou would give help, give aid. We were thinking there, Lord, is thinking just before we come in. We don't want to be plowing concrete tonight. Give us new tips in the point of our plow. Give us, O God, the Holy Ghost, to break up the fallow ground of some hardened sinner in here, or maybe listening online. O oh God, we pray that Thou would give the Spirit of the Lord and grant unto us that perfect liberty that is so greatly desired by the preacher in the preaching of the gospel. And yet, Lord, I'm so conscious, I'm so aware of my own 
frailty, my inability, my unworthiness. Lord, who am I? And yet, Lord, I pray that Thou would infill me with Thy Spirit and wash me in the Redeemer's blood and take me up in Thine hand and use me for the glory and the honor of Thy name and save the lost tonight. Lord, we pray that Thou would speak, Lord. Speak, we ask of Thee, and rescue some poor soul from the everlasting burnings. We pray that Thou would bring them, O God, into the family, into the family and fold of God. O Lord, hear us. Bless us, do us good. Shut out every distraction. Elevate, O God, our minds, our hearts, our mortal frames. Take away lethargy, tiredness, whatever it might be. We pray that thou would shut us in with thyself and do us good. For we pray this in the Savior's name and for his and thine everlasting praise and glory. Amen. In the opening chapters of John Bunyan's classical book, The Pilgrim's Progress, which is an allegorical story of one man's journey from the city called destruction to the celestial city, we read of a man called Grace, Graceless with a terrible burden upon his back. That burden represents the fear and guilt which filled his heart as he reads that his home city is going to be destroyed by God in fiery judgment. All those that are in the city, himself and his family, when the judgment falls, will be destroyed along with it. And realizing that he is condemned, he desperately seeks a way to escape certain destruction. Walking around with this burden, he meets a man in a field called Evangelist. An evangelist tells him to flee from the wrath to come. And he points to a light in the distance, telling Pilgrim to keep his eye upon that light. Evangelist tells him to go without haste towards it, and there he would find a gate called wicked through which he was to enter. Now, as Pilgrim makes his way from the city, family and friends, they call out to him to turn back, to come back, but the man wouldn't even so much as look back to the city called destruction. And Bunyan there in his story, he draws in a contrast with what we have read tonight concerning Lot's wife in verse 26, who did look back to Sodom. In Luke 17, we have an account recorded where the Lord Jesus had just been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come. He answers them there by saying, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Though here or though there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, the majority of Jews, they were looking for a political and military leader, one who would restore the throne and the land to the nation. But Christ came as a spiritual emancipator, delivering sinners from the bondage of their sin and setting up His throne within their heart. The Savior then turns to His disciples, and to teach them concerning a second coming, he draws from two historical events recorded in the Old Testament, the flood of Noah's day and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone from heaven. And just as the state of the world was in those days prior to judgment, so shall the state of the world be before the Son of Man comes again for the final judgment. Life was going on as usual in Sodom and Gomorrah when judgment fell. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. 
There's no mention there in Luke 17 of the sins that were committed, and that is because the emphasis is rather on the point that they were unaware that judgment was about to break upon them. These weren't people whose eyes were towards heaven, cowering in terror. No, they were getting on with their everyday life, totally unaware until the very moment that fire and brimstone was raining down upon them, and by then it was too late to do anything about it. In a solemn warning to his disciples of the need to be ready for the day of his return, the Lord Jesus commands them there in verse 32, Luke 17, just three simple words, remember Lot's wife. This is striking. For nowhere in the Bible are we told to remember Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. We're not commanded to remember Ruth or Rahab, David or Joshua, though they are brought to our attention for our learning and for our instruction, but we are commanded to remember Lot's wife, nameless though she be. We are to awaken our memories and call her to our remembrance, not just her death, which was invariably included but remember her as an individual, all that the Bible and the Scripture reveals to us about her, so that we might learn from her, lest any would come to the same end that she did. And that's what I want us to do tonight. We want to remember Lot's wife from Genesis chapter 19, under the heading, The Last Longing Look of Lot's Wife. The Last Longing Look of Lot's Wife. Now, firstly, this evening, I want us to remember the proclamation she heard. The proclamation she heard. Now, the background as to how Lot and his wife ended up in Sodom is found in Genesis chapter 13, where we read of strife between the herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen of Lot. And to settle that dispute and to prevent the surrounding tribes talking about them, the godly Abraham, Abram, he gave the choice of the land to Lot and proposed that they separate. Whichever land Lot chose, well, Abraham would, Abram would go in the opposite direction. And Lot, we read in Genesis chapter 13 and the verse 10, we read there that he lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot based his decision on his own wisdom and did not consult God, nor did he take into account that the men of that place were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. He did not acknowledge the Lord in all his ways and therefore could not expect the Lord to direct his path. What a fateful decision that was for Lot's family. Now some time passes between chapter 13 and chapter 18 where the Lord comes to Abraham this time and, and Sarah and gives them a promise of a son. And as the Lord is leaving them, we read that the men look towards Sodom. With that look, the Lord saw the wickedness of the city, that the sin there was very grievous. From chapter 19, we, we learn that, that sodomy, like an open sewer, it poured out into the streets of the city. So prevalent was it. 
And God's holiness necessitated that he would judge the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. And Abraham, knowing that Lot and his family were there, he began to intercede before the Lord. And that brings us into chapter 19, part of which we have read this evening. Lot's wife was in a city which was under God's condemnation. She therefore was in danger of God's impending judgment. And really, this is the situation of every single sinner and the situation and the spiritual position they find themselves in. They're under the condemnation of God because of their sin. An impending judgment is about to break upon their head, upon your head, sinner. But I want you to remember the proclamation that she heard. What's the proclamation that Lot's wife heard? Well, she had the privilege of the proclamation of Abraham's godly life speaking to her, witnessing to her. In the days of Abraham and Lot, true saving religion was scarce upon the earth. There were no Bibles. There were no ministers, no churches, no tracts, no missionaries. The knowledge of God was confined to a few favored families, and the greater part of the inhabitants of the world were living in darkness, ignorance, superstition, and sin. And compared with the millions of her fellow creatures that were alive at the time, Lot's wife was a favored woman. She had traveled with a man who is described as the father of the faithful, Abraham. She had seen how he dealt with that strife with godly wisdom and humility. She had been in a company when the sacrifices were offered upon the altar, and each one of those sacrifices themselves proclaimed God's holiness and the need for the satisfaction of His divine justice by a blood sacrifice. She had the proclamation of the living witness of Abraham that there is a God in heaven whose righteous anger must be appeased. But furthermore, she had the spoken proclamation brought to her and Lot from the very heights of heaven by the messengers of God. Look with me again at verses 12 and 13 in Genesis chapter 19. And we read there, And the men said unto Lot, Now, obviously, Lot's wife was here because they never said to him to go and find his wife. So Lot's wife was here. She heard this proclamation too. Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and, and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. There are two aspects to this proclamation that the messengers of God brought to her, destruction and deliverance. That's the two aspects of the proclamation. And starting with verse 13, there we see the message of destruction. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was not some capricious, unmotivated act of vengeance by God. It was because of sin that the cities would be destroyed. God's punishment is according to justice. Just as we would, or at least we should expect, in the courts of our land, lawbreakers are punished. And for any sinner under the sound of this message, God's wrath abides upon you because 
Not some unmotivated thing, but because of your sin. You have broken His law, and should justice be served, everlasting death is your penalty. While you may not have committed the open sins of the flesh that this city of Sodom was notorious for, we are quite clearly told in Scripture that all have sinned. That if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And if we have broken the law in one point, then we're guilty of all. The fiery indignation is poured out upon sinners because of their sin. That's the message of everlasting destruction. And that was one aspect of the proclamation that this woman heard. That we are to recall to our remembrance. And before I get to the second aspect of the, the proclamation that she heard, I want to point out something that has been upon my mind and heart for a good number of months now. You see, here we have an instance of the message of the wrath of God against sin. The wrath of God against sin. And you know, sometimes the charge can be leveled against a faithful gospel preacher that they focus too much on the wrath of God. Well, let me ask you, what is the wrath of God? What is the wrath of God? It is but the antithesis or the flip side of the love of God for righteousness. Underscore that in your mind. It is but the flip side of the love of God for righteousness. And so when you hear a preacher talk about the wrath of God for sin, don't only think that the Lord is angry with sin. He is angry with sin. He's angry with the wicked every day, as the Scripture tells us. But also think how much He loves righteousness and holiness and justice. Therefore, He does not leave sin unpunished. That's why there is His wrath. The charge comes. You're too heavy. You're too hot on the wrath of God. But it is the flip side to the love of God for righteousness. It is but an aspect of God's goodness. And that's something you need to understand. It's something that men and women and sinners need to understand. And they think, well, tell us about the love of God. Well, here's the love of God for righteousness. He is angry with sin. He's angry with your sin. Now the second aspect of the proclamation that Lot's wife heard was that of deliverance. Yes, she heard about destruction, but she heard about deliverance. And here is the grace and love of God proclaimed in a positive way. We might say the other's a negative way. The negativity of destruction. Lot was asked here if there was anyone else that belonged to him in the city, for they needed to get out, they needed to be delivered from the place, lest fiery judgment fell upon them. This was a gracious message of deliverance that Lot's wife heard. If she had not heard this proclamation, she would have not known the danger that she was in. She would have been oblivious to the destruction that was about to hit those cities. The message that she heard was of utmost importance, and the Lord lovingly revealed this unto her. Now the preacher is but a man who is sent by God to proclaim a message. He is God's message. Now parts of that message might be unpalatable uh, to the taste. Or it might not be pleasant to the ears like the destruction part, but nonetheless it's a message of God to you. 
It's grace on God's part to give you warning about everlasting destruction that sinners are heading towards, and also to tell them that there is, there is deliverance. What privileges Lot's wife had to hear such a proclamation. You know, there was no messenger sent to any other house in that city but her house. This was a message that was tailor-made for her and her family. And sinner, this is a message for you tonight. This isn't something that I dreamed of. This is something the Lord impressed upon my heart for you. He hasn't sent me anywhere else. He sent me to you tonight to tell you, to proclaim to you about the coming destruction, but there is deliverance. There's deliverance for your soul. Remember the proclamation she heard, but secondly, remember the pity she experienced. Remember the pity she experienced. Look at verses 15 and 16. Let's read them together again. Look down at the page of Scripture. And when the morning arose, then the angel hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters and the Lord being merciful unto him and they brought him forth and set him without the city. This pity she experienced is seen in the words the Lord being merciful. And what mercy this woman received. Lot, and by inference, his wife, they lingered in the city. They spent one more night in Sodom. Even though the angels did not tell them when destruction was coming, only that it was coming, Lot and his wife risked spending one more night in that city. You know, there's many a sinner like that. They hear the proclamation of destruction and deliverance, and yet they want one more night with their sin, one more weekend, one more drink, one more immoral act, just a little more time to sin. None of us know when the final judgment will come. And no sinner knows when personal judgment will come and they're taken away by death. And God has been merciful to you, sinner. Judgment hasn't fallen upon you. It's coming. And yet God is merciful and slow to anger. However, there's a warning here in your presumption that you'll gather another night with your sin. It was Puritan Thomas Watson, he said this, take heed of abusing this mercy of God. To sin because mercy abounds is a devil's logic. He that sins because of God's mercy shall have judgment without mercy. Oh, the foolishness to abide in a place where judgment would fall. But Lot and his wife did just that. So the messengers, they pressed the urgency of the matter upon them, and at the last, they had to lay their hands upon them and brought them out of the city. You think of what happened then. An angelic being took hold of Lot's wife by the hand to bring her out of the city, to get her away from the danger she was in. That's profound mercy indeed. 
This is not something that she deserved. Like all sinners, she deserved justice, and yet she received mercy. The Lord withheld from her what she deserved, and that's the definition of mercy. The Lord will not send an angel to lay their hand upon you and bring you out of your sin. But in mercy, there are other hands that seek to pull you out of the fire. The hand of your spouse's prayer. The hand of your parents' pleadings. The hand of a faithful preacher. The hand of a convicting sermon. The hand of a gospel tract. The hand of a preserving providence. Oh, the hand of God's mercy has been continually stretched out to you that you might be delivered from eternal destruction and yet you linger still in your sin. You bat away that hand of mercy that's outstretched to you with sinful procrastination. Let me say, sinner, there is still a hand of mercy stretched out this evening. And it's the nail-pierced hand of the blessed Savior. And you're to put your hand by faith in His, and He will deliver you from the everlasting burnings. Don't refuse that tender hand of mercy. Do it now. Do it now. Lest like the rich man of Luke 16, you remember the mercies you received in this life, only you remember them in a Christless head. Remember the pity she experienced. Thirdly, remember the place she was sent. Remember the place she was sent after Lot's wife had been brought out of the city by the hand. The angels had further instructions for them in verse 17. Look what it says. Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. It literally was a matter of life and death. They were told not to look back, to get out of the plain, and to get to the mountain. And if they didn't, they would be consumed. There was a consequence for not obeying. And the messenger told them clearly what that consequence was, ruination. They would experience the same punishment as those who had never witnessed a godly example of Abraham's life. They would have been consumed with the same fire and brimstone as those who did not have an angel sent to their door and who committed such vile sins. They who had received great mercies would have come to the same end as those who did not receive such mercies. My dear friend, there is but one lake of fire that burns with brimstone which holds all who die without Christ. The unrepentant murderer and the unregenerate churchgoer will both come to ruination if they do not obey the command of the gospel to repent and believe. Lot and his wife and his two daughters, they were to leave the place where they were. They were not so much as to give a longing look back to Sodom and their old way of life. 
Lot and his wife were to show no concern for their goods and their substance that they had left behind, or for their sons-in-law who refused to come, and much less for the wicked inhabitants of that city by not looking back. Rather, their concern for what the Lord had told them and their obedience to Him was to be manifested by doing what He commanded by leaving the plain and looking straight ahead to the place appointed by God. Here we have an illustration of what it means to repent. You see, sinners are commanded to leave their sin, to put such a distance between them and it so as not to return to it again. They are to prize the Lord above all others, love Him preeminently above houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, yea, even more than their own lives. As was intimated by the Lord immediately after, He said, Remember Lot's wife. The Apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, exposing the sin of the people. The multitude were convicted and they felt the weight of judgment upon them. They knew they were condemned and deserving of everlasting destruction. And so they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And what did Peter answer? Repent, repent. They were to turn from their sin. They were to forsake it. They were to do it. At that instant, they were not to linger. They were not to hesitate. They were not to tarry. And the call of the gospel is still the call to repent. Not only were they told to run from somewhere, they were told to run to somewhere, escape to the mountain. They were told to get to higher ground, to get to a specific place, a place appointed for refuge and safety from the fire and brimstone. They weren't told to get to a mountain, but get to the mountain. Praise God, we heard of this this morning. There's a mountain for slacking saints, and there is a mountain for sinning sinners. Get to the mountain. The Lord had a place in mind, and sinner, the only place of safety from eternal destruction is found at the cross. At the cross. The Lord Jesus was crucified at Calvary, which was situated in a mountain range called Mount Moriah. That mountain is associated with sacrifice and the bloodshedding of the Lamb. And that is the mountain to which sinners are to flee by faith. That is where you will find refuge from the wrath that is to come. For it was at Mount Calvary that the fiery indignation of a holy God fell upon His beloved Son as Christ bore the sins of His people on the tree. The hymn writer penned the words, Up Calvary's mountain, one dreadful morn, Walk Christ my Savior, weary and worn, facing for sinners death on the cross, that He might save them from endless loss. The old Calvary, it's really only a grassy knoll outside Jerusalem, yet it stands as a towering mountain of mercy for sinners who through the ages have fled there and found a place of shelter in the Savior's riven side. Get to the mountain. That's where you need to get to, sinner. Can you not hear the urgent entreaties of the angel to Lot and his wife? Escape to the mountain. Get to the cross tonight. That's where you need to be. You know, some they flee to the wrong mountain the mountains of their own choosing. They try to escape the coming destruction by climbing the mountain of good works. It may be that they even 
climb a literal mountain on a pilgrimage on their knees, hoping to avoid the judgment. And how sad that is. Some try to escape by scaling the mountain of church or chapel attendance, or the mountain that is called turning over a new leaf, or the mountain of baptism or communion. But all those mountains will turn out to be molehills and will not be places of refuge in the day of God's judgment. Remember the proclamation she heard. Remember the pity she experienced. Remember the place she was sent. But finally tonight, remember the punishment she received. Verse 26. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. The history of her sin is given by the Holy Ghost in these few simple words. His wife looked back from behind him. And upon the surface, you know, this appears as a small thing. There is, however, far more in that look that meets the eye. It revealed two things, her disobedience and her desire. Firstly, her disobedience. The command of the angel was unmistakable. Look not behind him. You know, that was a simple enough command to obey. She had the capacity to understand it, what it meant, and so she was accountable and responsible for what she would do concerning that command. And since she broke it by refusing to obey, she must and had to bear punishment. God has given Man has ten commandments to be obeyed. And you know, those who have the capacity to understand them are responsible and accountable for what they do concerning them. If they break them, well then, they are responsible, they are accountable, and they must bear the punishment of the broken law. In the gospel, there are also commands to be obeyed, repent and believe. And those here who have an understanding of what those things mean, to repent and believe, you're also responsible and accountable for how you will respond. If you do not repent, and if you will not believe, you will most certainly perish. And secondly, it revealed her desire. That look back, though little, a little thing, it told of her secret love for the world. Her heart was in Sodom, though her body was outside. She had left her affections behind when she fled from her home. J.C. Ryle put it like this, Her eye was turned to the place where her treasure was, as the compass needle turns to the pole. We're told in James 4, verse 4, Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We read tonight at the start of the meeting, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Her affections were never really set on things above. And to look, give it away, It was therefore just that punishment should fall upon Lot's wife, a punishment that was sudden. She had sinned against light and knowledge, and when judgment came, it was swift. There was no time to repent. Proverbs 29, verse 1, 
he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. You may walk in disobedience for years with the love of the world within your heart, but one day judgment will suddenly come. One day time will run out. There will be no more opportunities and no more calls to repentance. Her punishment was sudden. Her punishment was also serious. The Bible tells us she became a pillar of salt. Instantly the judgment of God fell on her and she was swallowed up in the wrath of God. Some believe she was actually struck by brimstone from heaven. She stood as a pillar of memorial that God is to be feared and that his threats of punishment are not empty. Dear friend, it's a serious matter we're dealing with. Everlasting punishment means exactly that. Her last longing look was at the fire of God's judgment falling upon Sodom. And when she opened her eyes in eternity, she found herself in the midst of tormenting fires. Why do I believe that? Though we're never explicitly told that that is where she ended up. Well, her name is not recorded. Just like the rich man in Luke 16. Lot is mentioned in 2 Peter 2 verse 7 where he's described as just and as one delivered, but, but there's no mention of his wife. In the context of calling on his disciples to remember Lot's wife, the Lord Jesus talks about the one who saves their life. They will be the one who loses it. She died as one disobedient, with a love for the world. And it was Christ Himself who said, No man having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And as such, her punishment was not only sudden and serious, it was settled. It was settled. For Lot's wife, there would be no pardons, no second chances, no hope. In spite of all her warnings, and messages from heaven, she was lost forever, and nothing, nothing could be done about it. Sinner, remember Lot's wife. Remember the proclamation she heard. Remember the pity she experienced. Remember the place she was sent. Remember the punishment she received the last longing look of Lot's wife. And I urge you tonight, sinner, look away from the world and look to Mount Calvary. Escape to the mountain. Look unto Jesus Christ and be ye saved. And may the Lord give you grace to do that even just now. Let's unite together in prayer, please. Oh, what mercy she received. And yet she was judged for her sin. What mercy you have received tonight to hear the gospel preached. To have your eyes turned to Calvary's mount. Obey the gospel.
Look to Christ. I'm here as God's servant. If there's any who needs help or counsel, you wait in the minister's room, make your way around there. We'll open up the scripture. Heavenly Father, we bow before thee in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we do thank and praise thee for the word, O God. We thank the Lord for the privilege to proclaim the message. Yes, to warn of destruction, but also to speak of deliverance and the deliverer. We thank thee for Mount Calvary. What a mountain it is. And we pray that sinners would flee and run from the wrath that is to come. That they will not look back. That they will escape to the mountain. Bless thy truth. Bless thy word. May it be of profit to those who have assembled, those watching online. May Christ himself be glorified, even in the salvation of the lost. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be the portion of thy people, both now and forevermore, until the day break and the shadows flee away and we're all found safe at the feet of Jesus. Hear our prayer, for we ask this in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.